First, uh, just have a schedule question. Are we ending at five or five twenty? Because drinks start at five. I don't think we're going to we're gonna, we're not going to keep I the audience the uh, for, for this long. So, yeah, it, you know, if at any point you want to cut us off, just of go do that. So, yeah, I mean, how did we get here? Um, well, I mean, you know, in short, I think we probably most of us felt that uh, 2022 would be a good year because we saw the continued recovery from the pandemic um, and very constrained supply. Um, and obviously the war caught us, everybody off guard um, and it's kind of turbocharged the market, but we did think and we still do think that, you know, the fundamentals were quite solid uh, behind that. What was the next question? Mm -hmm. so. Uh, so. Maybe a bit on the rate differentials between regions. Yeah, no, it, it, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good point and I think it's a good question because, um, you know, when you kind of, when you're looking at any, any sector and shipping from a distance, there's a tendency to you know, look, look at one rate and think, okay, well, that's the global average. But there's a lot of variability, and I think what's interesting about that and in our sector is that you know, our, you know, there, there have been quite significant differentials uh, uh, between the markets, um, you know, largely east versus west. Uh, but what's interesting is that, that at all times, really since February, um, one of them has remained quite strong. So we haven't seen both dip at the same time, meaning that it's really just a kind of a global tonnage allocation, temporary. Um, but overall, rates, uh, rates in the east have been stronger uh, for quite a while. Um, right now, probably the average MR rate has come off a little bit, but it's probably still around 50,000 a day. And in the, in the west and the Atlantic, it's been maybe 35,000, 40,000 a day. So average, maybe 40, 45. So. And, uh, so maybe Christian, you can take this question. Um, if it's good, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you look at, you know, call it the, the rate momentum, how much would you contribute to call it types of or different types of inefficiencies that could ease the unwind? And, and, and what are your thoughts on all these inefficiencies going forward? So there's no doubt that uh, whenever a system uh, like shipping get, gets disrupted, then uh, it gets suboptimized. And uh, we really saw that on the, well, I wish I could say the 24th of February when the war started in Ukraine, but the reality is it's probably more towards uh, 
the, the end of, of March. And uh, we saw a rapid shift, people uh, moving ships out of Europe. Uh, and, um, and you also saw trade flows change quite fast. Um, so that's, of course, one element that disrupted it. The second element that, uh, that had disrupted it is that the, I think it's fair to say if they, you look at the number of ships that have been uh, sold this year, then uh, there are a lot of buyers that are called uh, undisclosed buyers, and they have uh, acquired quite a lot of ships because we are distinctly seeing uh, a two-tier market uh, that has developed uh, where you have the fleet that's trading Russian cargoes and the fleet that's not trading Russian cargoes. Uh, and those uh, two fleets are completely separate. Um, and that, of course, again, creates inefficiencies. Um, now, how long will they last? Well, if you can tell me how long the war lasts, then uh, yeah, I'll probably be doing extremely well. Um, but my, my personal sense is that, uh, that it's probably going to last for a while. Um, and it's, uh, those inefficiencies are are going to stay in place even with the new sanctions coming in and we're getting a bit more clarity around it. So, so fundamentally, I think uh, the momentum is strong and I think it's going to stay like this uh, for quite some time, uh, full well recognizing that there are a lot of other factors that are pulling in the other direction as well. Yeah. And maybe before moving into the outlook for 2023, let's talk about the winter season. So there's one thing going into the summer season low inventories but going into the winter is, is something different so maybe Eddie you can take this question if let's say how how high can rates go is there any upper practical limit on rates <coughs> okay the market has been upward on an upward movement but there has been volatility uh, in the last uh, six months. So um, although we have seen some spikes in the market, which were very healthy, uh, we also seen some lows. So um, it's not that the market will continue in a specific way. Uh, what is um, an indicator for, uh, for us and uh, how the market will behave in the future is time charters. And then in the period front, we see now very, uh, a lot of charters actively looking for vessels for three-year period or for five-year period. This is an indicator that the market will remain healthy for a substantial time going ahead. Uh, as far as inventories are concerned, yes, uh, this has been a major impact for the market. Inventories are low uh, and uh, historically at, at historical low levels, and therefore there has been a lot of re replenishment. In addition, let's not forget, uh, as uh, what, what happened in the beginning of the year, February, March, uh, the economies were coming out, strongly coming out of COVID, and therefore there was a lot of demand for uh, products such as uh, jet fuel, diesel, etc. And in addition to that, we had the developments in Ukraine and Russia, and uh, this has added to uh, the market uh, fundamentals. And it, considering also the order book, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, these are very good signs uh, going on for the future. I cannot tell you a number, if that's what you're asking, Austin. But uh, if you're looking for numbers, today a modern MR, eco-MR, uh, is fixed for uh, three years at approximately 24,000. And if you're looking for a longer period, uh, five years, it should be around 21 to 22,000 uh, if their uh, counterpart is there to take vessels for five years. Yeah. And one point that which I actually heard Anthony talking about earlier, and at the different seminars, if you fix an MR at $45,000 per day, 
it's roughly around 5% uh, cost of freight in, in terms of the cargo value. It's probably a hard question to answer, but how high can this percentage go before you start hindering shipping? Also, keep in mind how much traders are earning right now. If anyone has an answer, maybe Anthony. Yeah, I mean, it's anyone's guess, um, but uh, but it's certainly, you know, rates could easily double, and it, I don't think it'd have an impact, uh, because it's really, you know, it's not, um, you know, you're, you're down to uh, people just needing needing the, you know, the cargo in a certain location. So, you know, it, you know, so I think practically speaking, you know, rates could probably triple, you know, from here. So, yeah. We can look at other sectors. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you'd have VLTCs. Uh, Making uh, more than three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a day, you've had VLCCs trading at those levels. Um, why shouldn't you be able to get ships like this at a much higher level? So it's it's also somewhat of a mental barrier at times. Um, but as you're saying, from a sort of freight component perspective, it's, it's pretty marginal, and that's not what hinders transportation. Can I just add something? Um, <clears throat> I think we're we're all fixing ships occasionally over a hundred thousand a day. And you know it's not it's not every fixture. Obviously, there are a lot you know that are below fifty thousand a day, etc. But the point is that somebody is paying a hundred thousand plus for transport. Okay, uh, and so there's obviously a need. So we're already kind of you know seeing occasionally rates that are effectively double the market average. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll add to that only that <clears throat> even before the war, we were already seeing. Uh, very different economics for refineries in different locations. Uh, of course, there are much more modern refineries which were built recently, which are being built, um, which have uh, uh, much higher margins, uh, which are much more sophisticated. But now we have also a unique situation where uh, refineries in some countries have access to crude oil at a very different price. Uh, and therefore, their, their margins are further uh, enhanced um, and, you know, if you are buying uh, crude oil at $30 per barrel discount, uh, $40 in some cases maybe, uh, then uh, the freight you can pay is uh, significant and, uh, and you can still earn a very good profit. So the, it, there, there's a lot of profit out there today for, for the refiners, for some refiners in particular, uh, and for the traders. Uh, and, and that is one of the reasons why the market is very strong and can, can be even stronger going forward. Yeah. Um, before we talk more on the COVID-23 and the upside risks that, that we see now, let's say you get back to a, uh, a recession in Europe and the US next year, um, what are the downside risks for, for product tanker shipping and what happened the last time around? Is it, uh, I'll leave that open to anyone who wants to answer that one. Uh, may I? <coughs> Well, the uh, refined product trade has always been correlated to GDP, world, worldwide GDP. Uh, latest predictions are uh, for 2022 revised at 3.4% growth and for uh, 2023 2.1% growth. Um, Although, besides uh, the lower predictions for growth, I mean, uh, the predictions for um, consumption of refined products, according to the IEA, is higher. So for 2023, they are projecting a 1.7% increase in uh, refined products uh, um, uh, uh, demand. So uh, I guess this says it all, that despite the recession, the demand for product tankers is uh, pretty healthy. Perfect. Uh 
with you know a bit more of a crude side that you're seeing you know, uh, open cuts and not being obviously to go in close to one and maybe a bit below what we believe um, and then you have SPR releases also I think uh, is it possible that you might start to see some spillover effects going into, into the product space in terms of switching capacity etc. Uh, Carlos? Well, you have to take into account that uh, this year uh, oil supply generally increased, should increase by the end of the year by 4.6 million barrels per day. And even taking into account the, the OPEC cuts which were recently announced, I mean the headline figure is quite impressive, 2 million barrels per day. The actual cuts, since many countries were producing well below their quotas, is probably closer to 1 million barrels per day, maybe even slightly less uh, than that. Um, um, we, we are still assuming that the, the International Energy Agency is still um, forecasting an increase in oil supply next year of around uh, 0.8 million barrels per day. Um, so uh, I think that the, the crude tanker segment, uh, which is already uh, doing quite well right now, we, it has improved significantly. I mean, the, the Aframaxes and Suez Maxes have been doing well. Uh, since the onset of the war, but most recently also the VLCCs are doing very well. Um, uh, they should continue going, doing well next year also because their order book for once is uh, under control uh, and fleet supply next year for the, for the crude tanker market uh, should be quite limited. Um, uh, and therefore I actually see positive spillover effects, not negative spillover effects coming from the crude tanker segments. I mean. Uh, we have done usually, you know, the, the, the first uh, sector to, to, to rise is uh, the larger vessels and the crude tankers, and then the, uh, the product tankers follow. Uh, this year we, we, we did well uh, despite, uh, despite the VLCCs in particular not doing, not doing that well. I think next year we could have uh, some positive pressure being exerted by a, a much stronger market also on the crude tanker sector. Christian, um, one of the things that's on everyone's lips for the product tankers is the coming upcoming EU embargo in 2023, so it's a, it will come uh, become effective in early February, February uh, next year. Um, how important is this embargo for a continued strong rate environment in products? And then uh, we can talk about the risks from it after, but uh, how important is it? So our view is that it's going to have a, a quite a uh, all other things equal, it's going to have quite a positive impact on the demand for product tankers. Um, it's approximately a million barrels a day that today goes into Europe. It's short haul from Russia. Um, and all of that will be displaced. Uh, Russian oil will go longer distances. And of course, there's a, a, a discussion about whether will they be uh, um, successful in selling it. But, but I certainly think so. Uh, and then in turn, Europe will need to source us from elsewhere, which is probably going to be the Middle East. Um, so our assessment is that, uh, again, all other things equal, then it will lead to a demand increase by four percentage points, uh, which is quite significant in an industry that has 3% uh, fleet growth next year. Um, so of course, there are factors that are pointing in the other direction, but it, it's, it's a rather significant increase. Uh, and I think uh, it's only going to strengthen uh, the separation between uh, what we consider sort of shadow fleets uh, and, and uh, the, uh, the, you can say, the non-Russian market. So, so I'm quite constructive about what happens in 23. 
but I'm perhaps also a bit more bullish than most uh, when it comes to that. Perfect. And uh, maybe Anthony, mm -hmm. what do you, do you guys see as the main risks of the EU embargo actually coming into effect? Do you think if diesel prices continue to go as they go, mm -hmm. what are your views on that? Yeah, I guess we're already looking at a very tight market, so any demand that you layer on, um, you know, from this, I think, is is going to really move the market. So, you know, even if it's only one or two percent, it's really significant. Um, it's different from one or two percent a year ago. Um, you know, it's adding on top of arguably already six, seven percent growth. And you know, <clears throat> apart from uh, specific. Uh, events such as the EU embargo, uh, the world still really hasn't recovered pre uh, on, on, for example, jet fuel demand uh, pre-pandemic. You're roughly 70% compared to where we were. And you have a supply situation, as probably everyone has heard throughout the day, uh, which is extremely supportive for, for the product tanker space as well. Supply is basically fixed for the next two years. Um, uh, Eddie, what's your view on, on the entire 23 as a whole right now? Uh, on the supply side, uh, on the MR front, which is uh, the workhorse of the industry, and our company focuses on that, um, the order book currently stands uh, around 4.7% for the next couple of years, which is the lowest we've seen for quite some time. Uh, most, uh, approximately 45-46% of this fleet is coming in 2023. Of course, there are also delays in the deliveries, etc., and uh, the new buildings placed are very, very, um, very, very little. So uh, we're very hopeful that uh, this order book will uh, remain stable, uh, if not declining, um, because of the uncertainties uh, uh, ordering new, new vessels today, prices as well, and of course technology. Therefore, we're very confident that the order book will, and the supply side will be very comfortable for the next couple of years, at least. I'm talking about the MR sector, which we are focusing on. But I'm sure the LR2, LR1 are approximately the same. Yeah. You should smile more when you say that. It's mm. good. <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then it's also uh, important to touch upon, which I think most panelists have talked about, uh, environmental regulations, how uh, much effect. Do, do you think you'll see a lot of effect of that on the fleet already in 2023? Or is it more, uh, call it a measuring year, and then you'll see more of the actual effect on supply in 24 and 25? Maybe, Carlos, if you want to go ahead. Um, there, there would be some effect, possibly. Uh, if we look at, uh, at only our fleet, uh, uh, which is of 36 vessels, we only have really six vessels which are uh, going to be affected by the new EEXI regulations. Uh, and uh, we are going to be installing energy savings devices and uh, derating a bit the uh, engine power, but we'll, we'll still be able to maintain uh, speeds of uh, 14 knots. Um, and so I think that the effect would be, will be minimal. Um, maybe on all the vessels uh, it could have a, a bigger effect. Uh, the CII might have also an effect, so I, but I think that will take longer to kick in because Unless you are an E-class vessel, you need to be class uh, for three years in a row uh, as a D-class vessel for you to need to take corrective action. So, um, yeah, I think it will have uh, you know a minor impact in the market, but there are many other factors today which uh, which are uh, predominant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Also, let's, uh, in the supply side, we should also add the scrapping. And this is very important, although we haven't seen um, uh, much scrapping this year because the rates have accelerated. Uh, let's not forget that from 2023, approximately 120 MRs will be above 20 years of age. So uh, whatever that means for trading and for um, you know, uh, decisions going forward, uh, according to what Carlos said about EXI, etc., this will be, uh, I guess, we will see accelerated scrapping uh, from the beginning of next year. Yeah, and it's maybe not, I think we covered the supply side quite well, it's quite simple, and it's looking extremely supportive for, for, for polytankers, and it's looking probably the best it has in uh, several decades. So, um, and it seems that you all have uh, quite a similar view on the future, uh, I probably know the answer to this, uh, but it would be good to, to hear your thoughts on Maybe if we start on anything and move down the line, as Eddie spoke a bit about earlier, how are you guys looking at taking more coverage going longer term? Uh, what's your view on spot versus uh, long term coverage? Uh, you know, it's something we think about every day. Uh, in fact, we have our head trader in the audience here, so we'd almost be better off asking him. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you, our, our, our sector is fundamentally a spot trading business and you know there's a lot of one-year TC but that doesn't really buy you a lot of risk reduction um, it's really just a you know kind of a bet on the near-term direction of the market um, it does feel like the future years are very periods are very heavily discounted if you look at the what we expect even even if this current market ran out through the winter versus a one-year rate or one year versus one year versus two years it just feels like you're giving away a lot um, and so, you know, when rates come up to levels which uh, looks like you're you know, being rewarded for, you know, for those, those periods, you know, we would consider it. Um, but also, you know, if you go beyond a year in our business, it's quite thin. Yeah. And you have to worry about counterparty risk and other things. So, yeah. Probably, has, historically, it hasn't been a lot of multi-year charters in your business. But not, <laughs> not a lot, and they tend to default. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, we as a company, we usually have a strategy of covering uh, quite a high proportion of our fleet uh, with period contracts, uh, between 40 and 60%, but uh, we're actually much more open today. Uh, if we look at Q4, we only have 18% coverage and next year 7%. And the reason for this is that we decided uh, to, to take short coverage whenever we did uh, recently uh, because we wanted to be open to the market recovery which we uh, anticipated was uh, was arriving um, and throughout this year we refrained from taking additional coverage uh, because um, we felt that the period rates were not there where they should be where the fundamentals of the market are we are now seeing that there is a bit more of a realignment uh, so we will consider possibly taking more coverage uh, but we are not in a hurry to do so. I mean, we see that uh, one-year EQMR uh, rates are uh, above, above 30,000, probably around 32, 33,000, and for LL1s uh, around 43,000. Um, and those are uh, undoubtedly very attractive levels, uh, but uh, also the fundamentals of the market are. so. Um, what we are also seeing is that uh, some, uh, some oil majors, some players, um, when they do want to take coverage, they want to take longer coverage. Um, and as Tony pointed out, they, are, they want to take longer, longer coverage at, uh, at rates which are significantly discounted relative to the one-year rate. 
so we are not very keen on that. Uh, but it also indicates that they are concerned about uh, the market uh, longer term and they want to secure tonnage for two, three years uh, because they realize that the prospects are good not only for next year but probably for the next two, three years. So most tankers is a, is a commercial manager and we manage 170 uh, product tankers for 40 different owners and we trade everything spot because we fundamentally believe in scale, and we fundamentally believe that if you want to make money in, in tankers, then you need to have your asset available uh, when the spikes come. It's super difficult to predict when the spikes come, and a lot of it has to do with geopolitical factors or, or environmental factors of which we're not in control. So when you put your vessel out on, on time charter, well, uh, then it's great that the market spikes, but you can't take advantage of it. But when you're in a pool, you can. So we trade everything spot, we do everything short term, and we do everything we can to ensure that our owners have the assets available uh, to sell them if they see that as an opportunity, to lock in long coverage if they see that it's an opportunity. Uh, but for, for now, it's really just take advantage uh, of everything we can uh, in the spot market. And that's what we intend to do, and that's what we see our owners wanting to do as well. Uh, as a small pub publicly traded company, we, we have a uh, balanced chartering strategy. Usually we have both vessels in the spot market and uh, period employment. Today most of the vessels are in the spot market and uh, we consider that uh, you know the coming winter will be strong so uh, of course if we see the opportunity to lock in periods we will do so. Visibility of cash flow is very important for us and uh, um, I think this is a very good timing to be locking in, in uh, period in case um, 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 you, the, the rate makes sense. Perfect. And moving a bit more over to the capital location, uh, as we've spoken about today, the supply side is looking fantastic. Um, demand side is looking good. Uh, you probably have some, or you have some upside, especially upside risk to the upside entering the winter season. Um, given where rates are, you're all earning a massive amount of cash. Um, if we talk a bit about maybe on the company specifically here, uh, what are you guys planning to do with the cash? Will it be uh, buying vessels? Uh, if so, what kind? Distributions? Are you making scrubber investments or so on? Can we start with uh, Anthony? Just checking on the time now because yeah. uh, we're cutting it to happy hour. I'm just thirsty, <laughs> just thirsty. No, look, I mean, it's uh, definitely uh, the case that we're generating a lot of cash flow, and so we're rapidly paying down debt. I think by the end of the year, we'll be under 30% debt to capital, which is nice. And in accordance with our longstanding capital allocation policy, we'll most likely be reinstituting our dividend um, when we get to that point. So. Yeah. Um, uh, we are we are looking as a priority to to the leverage uh, to the leverage uh, to position. You said the beverage. <laughs> the beverage. Sorry. Yeah. First the leverage and then the beverage. Uh, and um, yeah. And um, yeah. We are we are making good progress in that respect because of the strong cash generation. Um, and uh, we will look also to to pay dividends most likely next year. Um, uh, it makes sense, uh, uh, and uh, so we will do that. In terms of capex, no, we are not looking to buy uh, new buildings for sure, but we are also not looking to buy secondhand vessels. 
We do have a, a purchase option on a vessel time chartered in, which is uh, in yen, and uh, of course because of the yen's so strong depreciation, that is uh, at a very attractive price. So we exercise one of these options on, a, on a, another vessel on TCN, and we might uh, exercise a further one uh, soon. Um, and uh, and then we we have uh, vessels which we lease. Uh, which where we have purchase obligations and we can obtain significant savings by, by exercising these options. So, so we, we will look into that. <laughs> so I am, have the joyful uh, opportunity of managing a commercial manager. So we don't own any assets. Um, but I think w what most people are really doing now is either they're taking cash off the table or they're just milking whatever assets they have out there in the spot market. Um, it's really hard to justify new buildings, uh, not just from a, a, a cash point of view, but really the uncertainty around uh, the technology. You know, are you, what's going to be the fuel of the future? But also the fact that that will have uh, negative implications, whatever fuel there is on on future demand. Um, so, uh, I, I, in many ways, that's a really good thing for product tankers. Because as long as the regulation is uncertain, people are going to wait and see. The order book will get smaller and smaller. Uh, and that will really allow us to sustain the stronger earnings for quite some time. Um, it's nice to see this room being filled up again with people who are interested in shipping. It looked a lot different a few years ago. Um, but I think it's, it's fair to say that sort of the investor interest uh, in this side of the industry has been the smaller again, which I think is, is super attractive. Uh, for those who are willing to be here. So, thank you for being here. Uh, yeah, we're uh, obviously strengthening our balance sheet, and uh, uh, although we, we are a growth company and we would like to expand our fleet, this is obviously not the right mo uh, moment. Uh, asset values have, uh, are very high currently. Um, so, we would not rule out paying down debt. Uh, interest rates today are significantly higher than last year, therefore it makes sense to pay down debt. And why not uh, if we could uh, pay some dividend uh, um, uh, with uh, um, um, whatever amount we have at the end of the year, which can be allocated to paying dividends. Uh, might be an idea for us, yes. Perfect. I think um, yeah, the key takeaway is probably uh, that there's risk to the upside here, uh, especially going into the winter season. Supply side is looking good, cash generation is strong. Um, so I think that kind of rounds it up. And uh, what do you typically say is that uh, when the room isn't, uh, or the room use is usually completely full when you're at the peak of the season, uh, even though the peak hours that uh, they were talking about earlier, it seems that we're still not there. Uh, so with that, I say, Thank you to everyone listening and the panel. Thank you.